Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to have you here as we dive into another part of the series, like Amber said, called Jesus Called It a Kingdom. And I'm really grateful you're here. I think this idea is a big deal. It's uh, really helping me understand and see things in a new light. It's really, really cool. And the reason we're calling it Jesus Called the Kingdom is because whenever Jesus spoke about Christianity, whenever he spoke about what it looks like to, to live out a faith in him, to live out uh, kind of following him, he called it a kingdom. And he spoke spoke about that all the time, and one of the things that he actually said was um, when he came, he said, I've brought the kingdom with me, and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. You can reach out, you can touch it, you can, you're invited into it, you can become a part of it, it's accessible to you. That's what Jesus said, like was his whole message. He made it available, he opened it up to all of us. And when he did that, he said something really, really cool. One of the things he said um, that this kingdom brings in John 10, verse 10, he said this, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So, so, so Jesus taught very strongly and very clearly that life and hope and meaning and purpose and joy and peace, all these things that we look for, all these things that we work really hard to find, all these things that we save for, all these things that we get stuff to try and find, all these things, life, hope, joy, peace, meaning, purpose, all of those things are available to us and they can be found in life, in the kingdom, when we live in his kingdom. And, and he taught that one day we'll experience all of those things in perfection without any things to worry about because part of the kingdom message that he brought was that there is hope of heaven as part of that kingdom. But he also said that we can start feeling the beginnings of all those things now as well because the kingdom is not just a heaven thing. It's not just an eternity thing. The kingdom is a now thing as well. And so, we decided because Jesus called it a kingdom and because uh, we're all on this journey trying to find that hope and peace and love and joy, we're trying to find a life that's flourishing and Jesus said, you can find that in me, in my kingdom because he did that. We thought it would be cool if we spend a few weeks talking about this idea of the kingdom. So that's where we're headed, that's what we're doing and today we wanna ask a very specific question, a really important question and um, because if it's true that hope and life is found in his kingdom, a really important question comes to mind. Okay, so how do I get into it? How do I live in that kingdom? How do I enter it? How do I gain citizenship in this kingdom? And the cool thing is, because this was such a big like idea to Jesus, because this sort of, um, uh, Jesus expressed most of what he said through this idea of kingdom, he answered this question really clearly. In fact, as I've studied it, he answered it very clearly five different times where he talks about this is how you enter the kingdom. And so what I wanna do today is a bit of a dive into this sort of Bible study of looking at, okay, when did Jesus say, this is how you enter the kingdom, this is how you gain this thing? Five different times, I wanna look at all these five different times and then I wanna show you that even though they're slightly different in what he says, they all come together in one really important, really simple, really clear theme. So we're asking the question today, how do we enter the kingdom? How do we get into that? And, and how do we live in the kingdom? So, so buckle up, we're gonna dive into quite a bit of scripture today and see what Jesus said about entering his kingdom. We're gonna start in Mark chapter 10. And in this place, we see Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. And then suddenly, some parents are like, oh, cool, I wanna take my babies to Jesus, my little kids to Jesus, so he can pray for them. And Jesus uses this moment 
to talk about how to enter the kingdom. He uses these kids as an illustration. Let's see this. Mark chapter 10, verse 13, it says this. People were bringing their little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. That's not very nice, but hey. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't, don't hinder them. I want them to come. And then he said this. This is huge. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now he says the kingdom of God. That's like his big theme. That's what he brought. That's what he's invited everybody into. And he says the kingdom of God belongs. And he points to these little kids to such as these. So what did he mean? The next verse explains it a little more clearly. He says, truly I tell you. Now whenever Jesus says truly I tell you, he's basically saying, guys, this is a big deal. That's like a modern translation of truly I tell you. Listen up, this is a big deal. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Anyone who won't receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So that's a, you know, let's see what it means. It's a big deal. But before we see what it means, I want to point something out here. Because sometimes when we read statements like this, I think we misread them or hear Jesus saying something that he's not saying. Because when he says something like, you know, unless you receive it like the kingdom of God, like a little child, you'll never enter it. When we hear words like never enter it, we put that in a tone of anger or threat sometimes. If you don't do this, you're never going to enter it. I don't think that's what he's saying. We hear it like as if he's saying you're not allowed to, you can't. I think he was just saying you won't. You won't want to. I don't think this is on him stopping us. I think he's saying, unless you receive it like a little child, you won't even want to. You won't choose to. Sometimes we, we think that Jesus has put all these standards or requirements in place that we have to fulfill in order to enter his kingdom. And that's why we read it like a no, you can't, unless you. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying, because yeah, he didn't mention any standards. He didn't mention any requirements. And if you think about it, the message of Christianity says that Jesus died for us to pay for all the requirements, to pay for all our sins. And it's, he's invited us into his kingdom based on his grace, not based on our actions or based on our effort. So I don't think he's saying, you can't come in. You may not come in unless you do this. I think he's saying, unless you receive it like a little child, you won't want to. You will choose not to when he says, unless you receive it like a little child, you, know, you will never enter the kingdom. Here's why I think that. Because if you think about the picture of a little child, and he's got this little kid. You know, I thought of bringing a kid on here, but I thought that might get a little distracting. Um, but in that moment, he's, he's pointing at this little kid. He's pointing at these little children. And he's going, hey, what are little children like? How, to such as these belong the kingdom. People like this will enter the kingdom. You've got to receive it like a little child. What are little children like? And he's, I think what he's saying is little children know that they don't have all the wisdom and ability they need to provide them with the life that they need. They know that. That's why they need their parents. They know that, because remember, the, the parents brought the little kids. Little children know that they don't know everything that they need the knowledge and the wisdom of their parents. That's why little kids are always going, why? Why? Why, mom? 
Why? They, don't, they know the parents have more knowledge and more wisdom. Little children also know that they don't have the strength and the ability to make their lives successful. They need the strength and the ability of their parents. And as a result, little children don't trust their own wisdom and ability. Now, now I just want to point out, he didn't say teenagers. He said little children. Okay, so he's little children. Little children don't trust their ability or their wisdom. They trust the wisdom and the ability of who? Their parents. That's why if you ask a kid, why did you do that? Oh, no, mom said so. Right? That's why a little kid, a little boy will go, well, my dad's a superhero. He can do anything. And dad's like, ooh, I don't know about that. But the kid believes that. That's what a little child does. And because of that, the little children, because of the way they see mom and dad with all the wisdom and all the strength that I need to live my life, they have this natural ability not to stress and worry about the weight of this world. Why? Because mom and dad have got it. They're taking care of, it, care of it. I am taken care of because my parents are there. And finally, because of this natural humility that they acknowledge their own inability and their own lack of strength and their own need and their natural trust in their parents. You know what little children naturally do? They surrender to their parents. Sometimes not willingly. Sometimes a little defiantly because Little children sometimes go through terrible twos as well. That happens. And I think Jesus knew that. But ultimately, even in the tantrum, even in the defiance, the parents can pick up the little child and the little child knows they find a security and, and, and what they need in the arms of their parents. They know they can't survive or thrive without their parents. So I think that's what Jesus was saying. Unless you see yourself for who you are, unless you see that you don't have the wisdom and the strength and the ability you need to find the life that you're looking for in this world and the next, you will continue. I think this is what he's saying. This is why, unless you receive it like a little child, you won't enter the kingdom because if you see yourself as I have what it takes to, to earn my way, I have what it takes to provide everything I need, then you're gonna be building your kingdom. You're gonna be busy so focused on, I can do it, I will build my kingdom, that you won't ever look up and go, I need to enter his. That's why I think he's saying, unless you receive it like a little child, you won't want to surrender to my kingship in my kingdom, because you'll be so busy building your own. Little children, yes, they build little tiny kingdoms and their castles and all their stuff. They do that, of course, but they are securely living in someone else's kingdom, under someone else's provision, under someone else's protection. That's what little children do. And so he's saying, unless you receive me and receive my kingdom like a little child, you'll never want to enter it because you'll be so busy building your own. This is incredibly important. An incredibly important idea that Jesus teaches about his kingdom, that if I believe that I don't have the wisdom and ability to, to attain and protect my, my life and gain what I'm looking for, if I don't have that, then I will be open to walking in, trusting in, surrendering to the kingship of one that is greater than me. If I have that, that's why Jesus points them and says, to such as these belong the kingdom of God.
So that's what Jesus says. We go to how do we enter the kingdom of heaven? How do we enter the kingdom of God? By receiving it like a little child. So Jesus finishes that talk and he sort of gets up and you know kisses all the babies and says everything and then they go. And as he's walking away, a guy comes running and goes, I heard you speaking about the kingdom. I've got a big question in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And Jesus answers this and gets a little more focused and focuses in on the problem that we sometimes bump into because we trust something more than we trust him. Mark 10, 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. And good teacher, he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal Life. So either he hadn't heard what Jesus just said or he didn't understand it because Jesus literally just answered. Now, this guy's talking about the eternal part of the kingdom, but what must I do to get in? What must I do to be there? And I don't think he heard it because Jesus literally just answered it and said, you must receive the kingdom like a little child. There's nothing you can do to get it. You don't do anything. You receive it. And tell me, what do little kids do to enter into their family? How hard did they have to work for that? <laughs> nothing. They do nothing. They're either born or adopted into a family. Nothing that they did. And unless you receive it like a little child. So this guy comes in and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus engages him on this conversation, but he asks him a very interesting question. The guy said, good teacher, what must I do? So Jesus says to him, verse 18, why do you call me good? Now, now, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, he didn't ask that. <laughs> Why are you saying that? But Jesus knew what was going on. And I think this question was so important because I think he was asking this guy, how are you coming to me? What do you think I am? Who do you think I am? Do you think I'm a good teacher? Because if that's all you think I am, then you're just looking for a good answer or good teaching. And then you're gonna go try and apply the good teaching but do you think I'm more than that? Because if I'm God, if I'm the son of God, then I have a way to give you the kingdom. I have a way to change your life. So I think he says, why do you call me good? Look what he says next. It kind of clarifies it. He says, no one is good except God. So are you calling me God? Because if you're calling me God, that changes the picture, right? I can answer that very differently. But if you're just calling me good teacher, then I think you're just looking for some teaching that you can apply to your life to make your kingdom better. So he says, why do you call me good? No one is good. And also, by the way, him saying no one is good speaks into one of the most important Christian teachings or doctrines. What he says is there are no humans on this planet. Yes, you're good people, but there is a broken human nature that impacts and affects every one of us as humans. And if you're going to try and rely on the good things you can do to impress God or enter into his kingdom, it's not gonna work because every human being is imperfect and impacted by this broken human nature that we have. Christianity calls it sin. That all of us have this thing in us that if we're gonna rely on our own goodness, it's never gonna work. In fact, Jesus talks about that and in the next thing we're gonna look at about how to enter the kingdom. But as Jesus asks this guy, why do you call me good? I think this guy was coming to him as a good teacher. So Jesus engages with him in this idea that he's bringing. In verse 19, he says, okay, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And look at the guy's response, he's excited, he goes, teacher, he declared. Again, look what he calls him, teacher. 
He declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. So you're saying that I'm good enough? You're saying that I can trust in my own goodness then? Is that what you're saying? And this next line is so beautiful because of what Jesus does. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that because it shows his heart toward this guy. And it shows his heart toward us. That Jesus looks at us frantically trying to find life. Frantically trying to find value. Frantically trying to find find hope and purpose and peace and joy. And he loves us. And he wants what's best for us. And he wanted what's best for this guy. And so he looks into his life and he knows where he is. He knows our hearts. He knows what's happening. And yes, this guy's done all these good things. And he's, what Jesus sees is this guy is relying on his own goodness. And he knows this guy is wealthy as well. So he's relying on his own wealth to find life. And so he says this to him. One thing you lack. There's one thing you lack. And this is where he tells this guy that you're going to bump into a wall because you're going to trust this thing more than you trust me. And while you trust this thing, you're going to be building your own kingdom and won't want to enter mine. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So Jesus looks at this guy who's sincerely trying to find life and he's trying to do all the right things to impress God and earn eternal life. And he's trying to build his life and he's relying on his own goodness and he's relying on his own wealth. And Jesus sees very clearly that this guy is not receiving his kingdom like a little child. Because a little child, who's ever charged rent to your three-year-old? We don't, children don't pay. They don't need wealth to pay for their way in our family. And children, when they do the wrong thing, we don't usually, a good parent doesn't kick them out. Jesus is saying, hey, you're relying on your goodness and you're relying on your wealth to build your own kingdom. And now you want me to say, cool, good job. But you're, you're building your own kingdom. When you're building your own kingdom, you won't want to enter mine. So he asks him in this very visceral way, who do you trust more? What do you trust more? Your goodness, your wealth, or me? Because unless you realize that while your wealth can buy a lot of things, it can buy a lot of things, it can't buy you a flourishing life. Rich people have just as much problems in marriage, in relationships, in parenting, in finding peace and purpose and meaning in life. And your wealth certainly can't buy you eternal life. It can't do that. But until you realize that, you will never trust me because you're trusting your goodness and your wealth. You'll always trust your kingdom. And you've got a nice, cute kingdom. It's very nice. Well done but it's not gonna give you what you're looking for. And until you stop focusing on my kingdom, my kingdom, my wealth, look how strong my foundation of wealth is, look how strong and secure it is, oh my gosh, my kingdom, until you stop focusing on that, you won't even look at my kingdom. And you're not gonna trust, let alone surrender, to my kingdom. Little children don't see themselves as the king or the queen. They know they need a power greater than themselves. Yeah, sometimes they're king-ish and queen-ish, but ultimately, they know they need a power greater than themselves. 
But sometimes Jesus says wealthy people struggle with that. Why? Because even though wealth is fickle and doesn't go with you when you die, sometimes they trust in their wealth too much. And by the way, I don't know this, but I would guess that most of us who live in America are probably more wealthy than this guy was that spoke to Jesus. But look what happened. As Jesus said this to him, verse 22, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then he had this kingdom that he trusted and his own ability and he, he couldn't trust Jesus because there was something else that he trusted more. And verse 23, Jesus, I think he's so moved at this moment. I think he's so moved. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's those words. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, not because Jesus doesn't invite them. Not because Jesus doesn't allow us in if we have wealth, but because often we, if we have wealth, begin to trust in our wealth and our kingdom and don't surrender and don't want to surrender to another king, either because we're scared what he's gonna say and that means we don't trust who he is or we're scared that this is the only thing that will build our kingdom. He says it's hard for them to believe that a flourishing life is not found in wealth but found in him. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus again said, children, he's moved how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God, not because God makes it that hard, but because we struggle to let go of one thing and trust him. The disciples were even more amazed, verse 26, and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. It is. There's something in us that's broken. We can't fix it, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And we're going to actually look at a couple of examples of people who did find his kingdom, even though they were wealthy and trusted in themselves. But let's keep going. So there's those first two things. Become like a little child. Receive it like a little child. Don't trust in your own ability, your own wisdom, your own you know, protection. Don't trust in that. You've got to receive it that way because if you receive it that way, then you can trust in him. And don't trust in your own wealth. It doesn't build the kind of kingdom we're all yearning for. Yes, it buys nice stuff, but it doesn't build that kingdom. The third thing that we look at um, is, is, is interesting, and it starts going toward this idea that this young man came and said, what must I do? How good do I need to be to get in, is what he was basically asking. And this speaks into that goodness or that righteousness that we want to bring to, to get in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says this, <clears throat> for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's those words again, entering the kingdom of heaven. So how, like, what is he saying here? He's basically saying that our righteousness, we have to be more righteous than the most righteous people in his day. Because anyone, when they heard about a Pharisee, when they heard about the teachers of the law, these guys spent their lives figuring out how to obey the law. Do everything right. They looked perfect. And Jesus says, okay, if you wanna get in the kingdom, you have to have more righteousness than them, which everybody was going, what, how? 
It's a full-time job. I don't know how to do that. And Jesus was making a really important point. And what he was saying is their righteousness, you think it's so awesome, you think it's so good, you think they're so perfect, it's not enough. Later in Matthew, he actually tells us why it's not enough. In Matthew 23, verse 25, he's talking to those teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and he says this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. (laughs) You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. What he's saying is that even these best of the best of the best of the best externally may look perfect, but internally still suffer from that broken human nature thing, which, by the way, causes all of us to be more self-centered than we like to admit. All of us, self-indulgent and greedy, he says, of the best of the best. And basically, what he's also saying is, they're not doing good for goodness sake. They're doing this to build their kingdom, to be seen as good. It's all about self-indulgence and greed is what he's saying to these guys. They look good on the outside, but the thing that's driving it, in other words, they're building their own kingdom. He continues, verse 26, he says, blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. Verse 27, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but not on the inside. You're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus was saying that even the best of the best still struggled with this human, this broken human nature. And he was saying, okay, if it's going to be on righteousness, on the merit of righteousness to get in the kingdom, because God is perfect, so only perfect righteousness can get in, then no one can make it in, except for the fact that this whole thing What Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law, it was an allusion to the message of the gospel of Christianity, the message of the good news of Jesus. Because the reality is, Christianity teaches that we as humans do not have enough goodness and righteousness to please a perfect God. We do not have enough to be invited into a perfect kingdom. And God knows that and he sees all of it very, very clearly. And that's why Jesus came and he died to pay the price for our sin. And then he rose again and he says, I want to give you a gift. I want to offer you my righteousness, my goodness, because yours is not enough. But I'm gonna give you mine and I'm gonna invite you into me and let me enter you. And when that happens, my righteousness enters your life. And suddenly your righteousness exceeds that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. I wanna bring this picture and idea together in another person because the apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He was one of these people who was trying to live his life righteously. I also think he had some wealth in his life and he was basing his life on that and trying to accomplish and do and show his righteousness and earn God's favor and it never worked. It never got him where he wanted to go. He was always still angry. He was always still unkind and it even led him to kill people he disagreed with. Paul was struggling to live this out and find a flourishing life until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he realized, oh my gosh, 
This righteousness that I'm trying to do, this thing I'm trying to base my life on isn't working. And when he met Jesus, everything changed. And so we bring this idea of what this young, lead, this young rich man brought to Jesus and this, this, this righteousness thing together in Paul. And in Philippians 3 verse 7, we see how Paul describes it. He says this, Paul's talking about his own life. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for Christ. In other words, I tried to build my kingdom with what I was gaining, what I was doing. But all of that, I counted as loss. Why? So that I for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his kingdom. Verse eight, what's more, I consider everything loss, all that I have loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord or my King. I've discovered that life and hope and peace and joy and grace in him changes everything. In his kingdom is every, there's life. And what I was trying to build, I, I consider it all loss for the surpassing worth of gaining him for whose sake I have lost all things. That young man with the money struggled to do that. And he says, I consider all those things garbage. Why? That I may gain Christ. And then when he got to the place where he said, I'm not gonna trust in my righteousness, I'm not gonna trust in my ability, my strength, my wisdom, in other words, I'm gonna become like a little child. I'm gonna receive this like a little child, saying, I don't have enough. Look what happens. Act, so that in verse nine, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is not enough, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of, of faith. That's what Paul discovered. And suddenly his righteousness exceeded anything that the law or the Pharisee life that he lived could gain. You see, I think Jesus was saying this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will never enter the kingdom. That means there is nothing you can do to be good enough. And as long as you're trusting, I'm so good. I'm better than them. I can do what I need to do to please God. As long as you're doing that, all you're doing is building your little self-righteous kingdom. And when we're doing that, it'll never be enough. And he says, if you can just come like a little child, you don't have enough. You acknowledge that. You don't have the ability to change that. You don't have enough. You acknowledge that, then Christ brings you in and inserts his righteousness into you and boom, your righteousness suddenly by this miraculous reality exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So he said, this is what Jesus said so far, in order the way we enter the kingdom is when we receive it like a little child, when we don't trust in our own wisdom and ability, but we trust in his, when we don't trust in our own wealth, but we trust in his. And when we don't trust in our own flawed righteousness, but in his. In Matthew 5, verse three, Jesus says something that kind of brings all these ideas together in a really cool way. Matthew 5, verse three says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the fourth time that he kind of says how we enter. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven literally belongs to you if you're poor in spirit. What does poor in spirit mean? I've spoken about this before a while ago, but poor in spirit 
pretty much the best way to understand poor in spirit is to think about poverty in real life and in, in financially. And when I say poverty, I don't just mean like, you know, first world poverty. I mean abject poverty. Because if we understand poverty like first world poverty, sometimes that includes the American dream that you come with nothing and you work hard and you try your best and you give it your whole effort and you take advantage of the opportunities that you have. You can get educated and you can live your dream and you can find that thing. That's poverty in a first world country. But that's not really poor. That's, that's kind of middle class, really, because it's just you work hard, work hard. That's middle class in spirit. Jesus is talking poor in spirit, yeah. And if you think about poverty, I've been to some places in Africa on mission trips and stuff like that where you realize, oh my gosh, this is third world poverty. And it's a poverty that, that is so deep, sometimes because of famine, sometimes because of generations of poverty, sometimes because of war. And in those cases, there are some people who live in those kind of places who have nothing and they have no opportunity to change it. And no, you know, you know, education that can be gotten. It's just poor. And I think that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, if you think you have the opportunity to change you, then you're building your kingdom. And I'm gonna build it. I can show you. I can be it. Now, Jesus is saying, no, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who have nothing and don't even have the opportunity to change it. And he's saying, if you can see yourself like that spiritually, recognize that's who you are, because that's who I know you are, Jesus would say. And if you can see that, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna recognize, I need help. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that there aren't requirements that you must do something to enter it, otherwise we'd all boast. But just simply recognize, I desperately need help. I can't change my own heart. I can't save myself. And he says, as soon as you recognize that, and as soon as you look to me for that, then I come in and I give you the kingdom. The poor in spirit is another way of saying, be like little children who recognize they don't have the ability or the strength or the wisdom to do it. And finally, Jesus kind of brings in this last picture uh, about how to enter the kingdom of, of heaven, how to enter the kingdom of God. And this last mention is, is important because it answers another question. Um, how on earth do we stay there? How do we get there where, where I don't rely on my righteousness and religious practice, where I don't rely on my own wealth, ability, or wisdom, where I don't rely on my own strength? but I rely on him. Where I see myself as poor in spirit, that I have nothing to offer God that, that's of worth and that I can't change that. I need help if something's gonna change. But how do I get there and live there and continue to surrender to his kingdom? I believe that if we become like a little child, if we begin to see ourselves as poor in spirit and see what he's done, then we kind of come to the gate of his kingdom, and as we look at it, it's so beautiful and so incredible, and we come to him, and we're standing at the gate, and when we see that, and we say, hey, I don't bring anything of value. I can't earn my way in. I don't have enough. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough righteousness. I'm poor in spirit. If we come to him like that, you know what he does? 
And that's the beauty of this. He will grab you in the biggest bear hug and then in some miraculous way that I don't know how to explain, he changes our hearts and he brings us into his kingdom. He changes our hearts. This is basically what he's talking about when he speaks to a guy who came to him in the middle of the night, a guy named Nicodemus, who was also a Pharisee, who also relied on himself, but he began to see, oh my gosh, this does nothing. My righteousness, what I have does nothing. There's something different about Jesus. So he came to him in John chapter three, verse one. We see this last allusion to how to enter the kingdom. Three verse one says this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, not just a good teacher, but a teacher who's come from God. We know that. For no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus hears that and cuts to the chase in this conversation. He says to him, Jesus replied, verse three, very, very truly. Again, this is a big deal, guys. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. To which Nicodemus goes, huh? (laughs) What does that mean? How can someone be born when they're old? In verse four, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, but Jesus explained. Verse five, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one, he has those words, can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. What does that mean? He explains, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to to the spirit. In other words, what Jesus was saying was this, I think, that when we are born as a human, we are born into this human kingdom. And everything in us wants to build our own little human kingdom. From that moment on, we're trying to build our own human kingdom. And we use everything at our disposal to do that. And unless something changes on the inside of who we are, unless there's a, 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 a literal core change, of who we are, a nature change of who we are, that's all we're ever gonna do, build our own kingdom. That's flesh giving birth to flesh, that's human giving birth to human. And Jesus says here, yes, if you're born, water gives birth to water, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And if you come to me like a little child, like someone who's poor in spirit, who's not gonna trust in their wealth or their righteousness and acknowledges I don't have enough righteousness, I'm poor in spirit. If you come to me like that, then suddenly a miracle happens and God's spirit somehow gives birth to something inside of us and we are born again born into his kingdom as a child in his kingdom, as a citizen in his kingdom. Something changes in us and he adopts us into his kingdom. But how? How does that happen? How do we do that? He says it in in verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, in this context with Nicodemus. He says, this is how it happens. For God so loved the world, for God loves you so much that he, that, that he gave his one and only son, he sent him to bring this kingdom and this invitation to the kingdom and to do everything he needs to do to make it possible to enter the kingdom so that whoever believes in him, whoever stops believing in the strength of their own kingdom, the strength of their own ability to find life, the strength of their own ability to prove or impress, but believes in him will not perish but have eternal 
life. There is life that is found in his kingdom. And the way that we enter it, according to what Jesus taught, was to come to the place where we acknowledge that our wealth can't provide what we need, that our goodness or religious achievement can't provide what we need, that our wisdom and strength and ability can't provide what we need. If we can acknowledge that we are poor in spirit, we don't have anything of value when we come to God. If we can acknowledge that, then he invites us, he brings us into his kingdom and births something inside of us. That's when his incredible grace becomes more than just a word and he changes our hearts, our very nature. And that rebirth that happens changes something on the inside of us so that we can then discover a hope that goes beyond this world, discover a life that goes beyond the frustration and the pain and the struggle of this broken world and a peace that goes beyond anything that we can find in our own strength, our own wealth, and our own wisdom. This grace changes something in us, but that grace and that hope and that peace is not found in our little kingdoms. I can do it, I can do it. Well, then we don't need grace. But when I say, oh my gosh, I, I can't. I'm a little child, I'm poor in spirit. My righteousness is not enough. My wealth is not enough. Then we look and we can enter his kingdom. Paul David Tripp says it so well. He kind of puts it in other words. <clears throat> he says, it is only when God is in his rightful place in our hearts as king that everything else is in its appropriate place in our lives. And only powerful grace can accomplish that. So I think what Jesus was saying, how do we enter the kingdom? Receive it. You don't earn it, you receive it. Like a little child who says, I don't have all the wisdom and the ability that I need to even find my own life, let alone eternal life. I, I, I don't trust in my own wealth. I don't trust in my own righteousness because righteousness needs to be perfect. I know I'm not there. In other words, I'm poor in spirit. And when we approach Jesus that way, then his grace enters in this big fat bear hug and his grace changes our heart and we're born by his spirit into his kingdom. And we begin to journey a life in his kingdom. And it's a beautiful and real and sometimes awkward and difficult journey because the minute we're born into his kingdom, that doesn't mean there's not something in us that still wants to build our own little kingdom. And every now and then we've got like the side issue. I'm gonna try to build this and do this and trust this. And then we go, oh my gosh, what am I doing again? And it's this constant sort of battle now between whose kingdom am I in? Am I living in his kingdom or am I living in mine? Am I trusting his kingdom or am I trusting mine? Am I building his or am I building mine? And it's this journey that's going, but because of his incredible grace, there is a seed that's planted in our hearts that is growing and will continually draw us back going, hey, 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 you're building your kingdom again. It's not gonna work, it's cute. It's not gonna work though. And that wealth thing that you're trying to, don't trust in that. And I know you're gonna fall and trip and go, oh gosh, it's not working and it's gonna get scary. Remember, you're in my kingdom. You can trust my kingdom. Understanding this kingdom dynamic is so important. Living in his kingdom is a continual journey of grace for when we mess up and when we pull back and struggle. And then in that grace, 
we continually ask, okay, so whose kingdom am I building? Who, who am I trusting? My wealth, my wisdom, my ability, my strength, my righteousness? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm poor in spirit. And when I remember that, his righteousness, his strength, his ability, his wisdom continues to grow who I am. And what's beautiful about this, as we wrestle, as we struggle, is that there's no cancel culture in Jesus' kingdom. There's no cancel culture there. That as we struggle and as we wonder and as we sometimes trust ourselves and then, oh my gosh, come back to trusting him that he continually calls us and grows us. And in that journey, the question that we can continually ask is, whose kingdom am I living in? Whose kingdom am I living in? And so to close, the simple thing that I think Jesus was saying in all these different scriptures and all these five things and saying, this is how you enter the kingdom. How do we enter his kingdom? How do we live in his kingdom? Simply put, by trusting him and not me. How do we enter his kingdom? By trusting him and not me. Not my wealth, not my wisdom, not my ability, not my righteousness, but by trusting him and not me. There are no standards or requirements. The only thing is recognize you need it because when you do, then you turn and go, can I enter? And he goes, yes, come on. I wanna do something in your heart to change your life. So, Ask yourself, who do I trust? Who do I trust? What am I trusting? And which kingdom am I living in? Because it's simple. I enter his kingdom by trusting him and not me. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much that you have invited us into your kingdom and not just invited us, but you've provided everything we need to enter in. And the only thing, the only reason you said it's so hard for the rich people, it's so hard for people, is because we hold on to these little things that we trust so often. And if we could just see you for who you are, this good and beautiful and gracious and kind king who is our father, our parent, if we could just see that and know that, then we could receive this as a little child and acknowledge we need you. And when we do, thank you that you open the doors, you do something in our hearts, we're born into your kingdom, and you give us your kingdom to live in. We're so grateful, Father. Help us do that. Help us recognize when we're not trusting you and we're trusting ourselves so that we can live our lives with the peace and the joy and the strength in your kingdom. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for journeying through this. I uh, hope you have a wonderful week and we'll see you next week for part three. Have a good one.